That's really I, interesting. Um, I don't think I've ever met a unhealthy naturopath. <laughs> there's, so many, right? there's so many practitioners that are in Western medicine that practice medicine, but they are the most unhealthy people that I know. <laughs> Hello, this is Dr. Diva Nagula. Welcome to From Doctor to Patient, where our goal is to bring you topics of discussion that will educate you on the various healing modalities to help balance the mind, body, and spirit. Welcome everyone to another episode of From Doctor to Patient. This is Dr. Diva Nugula, and I am so excited to bring our next guest. She is Dr. Heather Wadawan. Dr. Heather is a licensed primary care physician and specializes in oncology, chronic disease, endocrinology, and sports medicine, as well as a licensed naturopathic medical doctor. She's a member of the Endocrinology Association of Naturopathic Physicians and is working on becoming board certified in naturopathic oncology. She's also a member of the Restorative Medicine Association and has studied with the leaders of the emerging environmental medicine field. Heather is an accomplished diagnostician, practitioner, and a certified clinical hypnotherapist, aiding patients in utilizing the mind-body connection in healing. Heather, thank you for joining us today. It's great to have you. Nice to see you. Thank you for having me on. So we are fortunate to have you because a lot of our listeners are trying to explore various modalities and healing practitioners. And you're a naturopathic provider. And I just want you to take a few minutes and explain what naturopathy is and what it is you do. Okay. Let's see. So most of what I practice can be put into the box of functional medicine because we want to support the body and functioning optimally. We can test nutrient levels, microbiome, neurotransmitter levels, all of that in order to have the body function and heal itself. Naturopathy is a little bit different because we've got certain tenets that are a philosophy that drives how we treat. And so one of them is to uh, use nature. And so I do a lot of herbal medicine. And there's energetics that are tied into that as well, if you, can, if you look at it. Some naturopaths use homeopathy. I don't use that quite so much as others, even though I have been trained in it. We are trained in Chinese medicine and acupuncture, some of us. We also can do physical medicine, like kind of a blend between chiropractor and uh, DO adjustments in some states. We're trained to do that because, you know, believes that it opens up the body, restores restores the function. But I think that the most important tenets that we have are to treat the cause because we want to find the cause of disease rather than just stop the symptoms from appearing, which right. is what a lot of conventional medicine is looking at. Like, 
We have tension in our blood vessels, so our blood, our blood pressure is high. And so you give a you know, calcium channel blocker so the muscles in the, in the blood vessel have to relax, right? But that's not addressing why they're tense and right in the first place. And so that's what we try to find. And usually, you know, it all comes down to like stress or nutrient dysfunction or deficiencies. So we have treat the cause, but we also have treat the whole person. And I think that might be my favorite one. It's hard to pick favorites, but there's so many facets to a human being. And so I think that's partly why specialists or specializing in a field of of medicine can be so dangerous and reductionist because if you look at like an endocrinologist and a psychiatrist, they can both have a role in depression, for example, but the psychiatrist isn't always going to check to see thyroid levels to see if that has a role in depression. And so we try to look at all of the different systems of the body, but we also try to look at the, you know, mental, emotional side, the the lifestyle side, I think, you know, how people live their lives and, and coaching them in how to sh- make those shifts. Because a lot of conventional providers, they just don't have the time to do that in the, in the right. medical model, right? You know, we can sit down, we can say, well, healthy diet and exercise are going to fix basically everything, right? But that's not, it's not a one-stop or one cookie cutter thing where you're doing this exercise and you're eating this diet because everybody is different. We're all very similar, but you, we try to focus on how to uh, personalize that medicine. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. And so it's like, treat the cause. Oh, there's physician heal thyself too, which is not my favorite because, (laughs) you know, (laughs) that puts accountability on us, but there's also that, that, Uh, tenant in our philosophy that we are supposed to walk our talk. We are supposed to explore our own health. And in that, it deepens our understanding, our empathy, our connection with patients as well. That's really interesting. um, I don't think I've ever met a unhealthy naturopath. (laughs) There's so many many practitioners that are in Western medicine that practice medicine, but they are the most unhealthy people that I know. Yeah, it's and it's think about how sad that is. And it's because like, there's, you know, all of these pressures to, you know, even residency. I mean, you think about how the toll that residencies take on the human body, it's almost like a hazing, right? But it really is. So um, let's see, physician, so myself, if, if- yeah. Yeah, if a, if a patient um, was to come into your office to see you, and they say, uh, now they, they want to be evaluated. Give us uh, kind of an example of how you would intake that patient, whether, and then perform diagnostic procedures and tests, and then later on have a treatment plan that's outlined for that person. So I've got two distinct practices that I currently work with. And one of them is like a wellness-based internet practice where I work with people all over the world. And what I do with that is um, I talk to people about everything from their relationship to their, you know, significant other, their job, you know, how much they move, what it is specifically they're eating, how much they sleep, any family diseases that run in uh, the genetics So I try to take a pretty good inventory of what that person's life looks like every day. Like, do they take supplements? What are their stress levels, et cetera? 
And then I do a lot of functional medicine testing because mm -hmm. I do believe in science. You know, I believe in some other esoteric that, stuff, but I think that because I think we want to make sure that people understand that you do practice evidence-based medicine. You do look at science, you know, it's not this woo-woo yeah. type of practice that, yeah. that you employ on, on patients. So no. it, there is a fundamental basis of objective data that you collect and use it to treat patients. Absolutely. And luckily for me, I'm outside of what, you know, insurance says I can and cannot do. And so I look at nutrient levels, um, hormone levels in a deep and meaningful way that usually aren't covered by insurance unless someone is extremely ill. And I think, you know, as far as what we want to do is we also want to prevent disease. I mean, there's a huge spectrum between like, I feel great, you know, like I feel, you know, 10 feet tall and bulletproof, and I have a significant chronic disease that needs to be addressed. Right. And we can see in the lab work, there's a great big spectrum. And so when I pick up stuff early, I can make those changes there so it doesn't progress to a more significant disease. And the more that you cover up symptoms, the more likely that is to happen down the road faster and faster for many different reasons. But I look at the microbiome, which is hugely important, and we see now you know, how the microbiome has an effect on basically everything in the body. And we don't exactly understand, you know, how much or why or exactly the nuances of it. But we do know that healthy digestion and that microbiome piece is incredibly important. So I check it and then I can support it. I look at the genetics and the epigenetic aspect of medicine is probably my, my current favorite because right. it's so fascinating on how we can give certain nutrients or tell people to eat certain foods and it just makes their genetic at the basic level stronger. Yep. I love that. And so I do a lot of testing because I love the data and then I can look at it. You know, I'm looking at the endocrine system, the nutritional system, the digestive system, neurologically, and I can look from the top and see where are we really getting the imbalances and how do we make, you know, focused important changes and supplementation and food and diet and lifestyle recommendations to make the biggest impact. Because when you think about it, like lifestyle, how you live your life obviously impacts your health and people don't know. I mean, there's so much information out there. And so that's a piece of it. And I do a lot of um, advanced supplementation programs. And mm -hmm. obviously I don't want people taking supplements in huge amounts until the end of time, but right. you do need to replete the body because we're biochemical. And so there's cofactors needed for certain enzymatic systems. And if we can support those enzymatic systems, everything works better. And if you can get the body to repletion with the supplementation, then you can make changes with diet and actually get some of it from food at least. Mm -hmm. But that brings up an environmental and agricultural argument about, you know, the nutrient density of our foods as well. Right? right. It's a whole different topic. I know we can. And I also, well. right. We won't go down that rabbit hole quite yet, <laughs> but you know, I do follow up labs to see how people are doing, but people are so much more than just labs. Right. I and I think that's another issue with convention, especially when you see thyroid, like people are like, I'm tired. I don't mm -hmm. feel well. Like I'm depressed. I have these symptoms. It's like, well, your thyroid, your TSH is fine. It's normal. And so we have to actually look at the person and see, well, why 
if that's normal, what else is going on? And how do we get this person to, they're more than just lab work. And so I try to take that into account as well. My other practice is a sports medicine practice. That's right. Yep. And that's, that's fun because I help. It's like being a, you know, formula one car mechanic in a lot of ways. (laughs) Like you have these, you know, specimens of humanity, they're bigger, stronger, faster, like they're, than you know, basically anybody else on the planet and making those little tweaks so that they repair better, so that they can perform better is, is, is kind of fun too. Correct me if I'm wrong, but naturopathic practitioners are recognized by some states, but not yes. all states, right? Yes. And so we are not recognized nationally yet. So the Medicare system doesn't pick us up and it's a big political process, but we are licensed in um, most, of, most of the Northeast and then most of the West. But like in the middle, you know, there are, you can get an online degree from a naturopathic school and uh, say that you're a naturopath if it's not a licensed state. And so right. that's the difference. You know, I went to four years of graduate school and had to see patients. It wasn't just like an online you know, vitamin C program. is good for you program. I understand that there are some states that allow naturopaths to prescribe medications. Absolutely. Yep. So a lot of, like some have really good scopes. So my primary license is in Arizona, which has the best scope. And so that's where I'm, I'm classified as a primary care physician. Whereas in California, I can't call myself a physician because of the, the laws. But in California, I can prescribe hormones isn't it interesting and, and natural substances. So each, each state has different laws showing how we can, how we can practice in those states or delineating how, and unlike like nurse practitioners and physician assistants, we can practice aut- autonomously, but sometimes in certain states you need to have a, an MD or a DO supervising you in order to prescribe medications. Really? Now, I didn't know that. Okay. Yep. And so and California is one of those, but primarily, and then not every naturopath practices the same way. Like I don't usually prescribe medications. I think that there's a huge amount of things that I can do to not necessitate that. But you know what? Sometimes your blood pressure is 190 over 120. That's probably a good time. <laughs> right? To give a blood pressure med while we work on the underlying stuff, you know, but I just gave my son an antibiotic last week because he was so sick and the natural things weren't working. And so there is a time and a place, but there's a lot of stuff that we can do before that, I think. And I think that's great. And I think it's really important to understand that there's a whole spectrum of Mm -hmm. the way to practice health. You know, Mm -hmm. there are some physicians that are so anti any other non-Western based philosophy. And I think that that's a disservice to patients. And on the other side, there are naturopaths who are against all Western forms of medicine and they won't work with any other Western providers and they feel naturopathy or homeopathy is the way to go. And I think that's also doing a disservice for patients too. Absolutely. Uh, in my mind, it's that the functional medicine practitioners are the integrative medicine practitioners. I feel those are the ones that seem to espouse all disciplines of medicine, and right. they are able to give you the best of both worlds. Right. You know what I think the best kind of medicine is? What's that? 
the kind that works. <laughs> well, the kind right? that works, and the kind that actually where the patient feels like they've they're, they're heard. Right. Hey, Dr. Diva here. Thank you to all my listeners who supported my book and helped to make it a huge success. You all helped us hit number one in Barnes & Noble, number one in the categories of oncology, cancer, healing, and medical ebooks, and number 21 in all of the Kindle store. We also were able to achieve number three on the Wall Street Journal bestseller list. If you haven't gotten your copy, you can find it on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or booksandmillion.com. Visit from doctortopatient.com to become part of our growing community of health and wellness aficionados and to learn more. You know, unfortunately, there's so much data. A lot of people or providers that are against what I do are like, well, there's no data. There's tons of data. It just, on average, it takes 17 years for new research to make it into the medical model. So, I mean, there's tons of data. It just, it's a very political process. And one of your expertise or passions is really utilizing the mind-body connection and healing. Yes, yes. In my book, I actually discussed this. Um, I discussed this. I wish I had, I had dedicated more time to put energy into this focus, but I, I there was so much to discuss that I, I I was only able to address only you know a few sections in my book about this. This is so important in my mind to assist with healing. And mm -hmm. how do you utilize the mind body connection for healing purposes? So I do all of this you know heavy science biochemical functional medicine piece, right? But I absolutely 100% believe that the mind can heal the body of anything and yeah. everything. I mean, you look at the placebo effect, you have to, like, <laughs> right? I mean, really, it's like 30% has right. to be controlled right? for. Yeah. yeah. Right? And right, that's how antidepressants work. <laughs> but, and it's like when people believe that something's going to work, it does. Mm -hmm. And yet, unfortunately, we get these mental patterns or we have blocks. It's like, you know, you can want to believe that your mind can heal your depression and it absolutely can. But if you're too depressed biochemically to really move past those blocks, I think that the biochemical support of that can help the spirit and the mind move through it. And mm. so I think that yes. moving hand in hand, it just makes it a little bit easier if you have more serotonin, <laughs> right? <laughs> really? I agree. And, and so through school, um, we were exposed to different mind-body therapies, but we didn't really delve very deeply into it. We did a little bit of EMDR, a little bit of like the emotional freedom technique with the tapping, and that never really resonated with me. So I was trained in hypnotherapy. Mm -hmm. Because I loved the idea of, of uh, using the, the subconscious to help with um, it's like programming, right? Like you can put these thoughts in and program it kind of like a computer for people. And I've had a lot of really great success with that in mm -hmm. using it as guided meditations and supporting people to meditate on their own and make that 
experience a priority in their life. And so I can help with facilitating. I do some sports medicine visualization. I mean, you look at it like just about every professional athlete has some sort of visualization that they do. (laughs) And if we do it for our health, it's incredibly powerful. I almost lost my leg in a car accident my senior year in college. And, you know, the surgeons saved my leg. They saved my life, but they never expected me to get better. Right. Right. They were like, well, you know, you're probably never going to run again. You're never going to do this and that again. And you're going to be, you know, bedridden and healing from this for a long time. And I, right. And I ended up healing it and getting the external fixator out three months, like three times faster than they ever expected. And what I did every night tape and I just thought about everything and I was lucky because I had a biology background right so I was like visualizing all of the little you know (laughs) molecules coming together and you know fixing up that leg but it's that I think was one of the big breakthroughs of my life in that and also I think that we all come face to face with our mortality or we have a health crisis at some time in our life yeah And it just depends on the mindset of, am I going to let this define me? And am I going to identify with this idea and internalize it and make this part of the rest of my life? Or am I going to do something differently? And so I try to empower people to do something differently because you can be better. You can heal People who have, I mean, there, there's, I totally agree with you. There's definitely the power of the mind that can facilitate healing. But some people have, and I don't want to say, I don't want to be derogatory and say a weak mindset, but some people don't have um, that strong of a mindset. And it's how true. do you empower those people and coach them and coerce them to utilize their mind in positive thinking as compared to someone who's very strong in their mindset and yeah. will have an easier time in using mind-body techniques to facilitate healing processes. I think hypnotherapy is a great way to jumpstart it. And that's why I chose it because you can relax people down and then you can say, mm. you can implant those little programs into their subconscious. And it's a, it's a way to like have them step up, step up. Plus, I mean, they're getting the relaxation of it. They're getting the, you know, the, balancing of the sympathetic and the parasympathetic systems. And I'm not a big believer in talk therapy because I think that it just gets people in a loop. This happened to me and then this happened to me. And then it's Mm -hmm. like, and I've done it. (laughs) You know, like I've done my fair share of it. I've done it it too. It didn't help me. (laughs) Nope. No. But it's like, you don't process anything. I mean, it's, it's, the energy is still, left in your body. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that, you know, people need community in it. And yet you don't want it to be a negative community. You know, like the support groups could be seen as a possibly negative community as far as like, this is my experience. This is what I've been going through. And like, then people can expect, well, you know, this person had all of these terrible things happen on this medication. We see it on chat boards and all of this, like we're feeding on like the identification of the disease and what can happen. But I think that when you empower people from the ground up, as far as, you know, helping them feel like they actually have the power to do something and shift that belief, 
it's baby steps. But that guided meditation, the hypnosis with the provider, like that connection between the provider and the, and the patient can help them to become a little bit stronger as far as, yeah, I think I will meditate when I'm home and I will watch my thoughts. And there's so many resources now. They don't even have to be in the office. But you can go on YouTube and find 50 million different Meditation. supportive you know, meditations. You can watch podcasts. Like I love Dr. Joe Dispenza and the work that he's doing and Greg Braden as far as like all of that wild and awesome neurological exploration of, of how you can shift that. But I think information is very important. And that's why I like listening to those, but also just allowing people to understand that they are okay, wherever they are, they have support and implanting those programs where when a negative thought happens, I'm going to choose something else is tremendously powerful. Mm -hmm. Just the realization in of itself is, is, a gateway to the healing process. Yes. yes. In my own experience, because I've been doing a lot of this for myself. I mean, I don't think it ever ends. Right? <laughs> <laughs> like, you can make big jumps where you're like, well, I'm not going to pay attention to that. I'm going to pay attention to different parts of it, or I'm going to do the biochemical piece now. And then yet that, that evolution, like my, um, I majored in neurobiology and then I had a minor in sociology because I wanted to have the nature versus nurture of human yeah. consciousness, right? Oh, and so it's still that. a really interesting self-exploration because, you know, I listened to a lot of stuff and I was thinking, well, I don't really have negative thoughts about myself, right? Like, I don't really feel like, but then when I paid attention, oh, I did, right? So like actually paying attention and then being like, well, where does that come from? Does it really matter? How do I shift this? So I'm not doing all of this negative talk. Mm -hmm. And I think that's such a big piece of, and you know, when you look amazing. in the mirror, what do you see? Yeah, I agree. I mean, I think we're all geared in that way of negative talks in our minds because it's a result of our comparisons to what we believe ourselves to yeah. be and it's it's not good for our psyche it's just if we can sit there and have more positive thoughts in our mind and more compassion for ourselves i think it is so yes positive in its impact on our overall health 100 percent. did you ever see the the movie what the bleep do we know yes yeah i, I did and it's a funny story behind that but i'll get into that later in fact in my book i talk i talk <laughs> about that movie do you? So yeah. my favorite scene, I think, is when they're dancing around with the IV poles, which is probably, <laughs> do you remember that one? Right? But it's also like how we were addicted to these negative emotions. And um, Dr. Dispenza talks about that as far as we have these patterns, that if you can do the pattern dis disrupts, then you can break free of that negative, you know, patterning. But I don't want to, it's a 20 year old movie, so I won't ruin anything. But at the end, the character is like just looking at herself with love rather than, I mean, when we look or in the mirror, what do we see? Yep. Right? Like usually we pick those, you know, parts about and social, you know, social media feeds it, you know, looking at a magazine increases depression. Yeah. I mean, it's like, how do you, like our whole culture is pushing towards sickness. And hate. Everything. And hatred and, hatred and fear and so how do you disconnect from that? And I think it's also an important piece of you and I as providers, 
you know, we, we hold, you know, sacred space for our, you know, patients as far as like, you, you know, we believe that they will get better. And, you know, that's you know, the best part of medicine. And for the people that we love, you know, the pets that we love, there's so much love that we have to give to others. And yet we don't easily turn that back on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's such a good point. I mean, you're not going to sit there and I mean, most people would probably agree to me that if a dog does something bad, like accidentally pees on the floor, I mean, you're not going to sit there and beat the dog up and, and scold the dog, you know, I mean, and just, if you're not going to be able to doing that, why would you do that yourself and beat yourself up for right. something that you did incorrectly or, or right. didn't achieve something? There's no reason to beat yourself up. Right. That's, you're, it's all about having compassion for yourself and that it goes along with having self-love and all that right. aids in the mind-body. Yep. So. And think about the thoughts that, I mean, those make people sick, I believe, right? I think the root of just about every disease out there, even if you look at, you know, infectious diseases, right? There is a mental, emotional root. And whether it's you're stressing yourself out and you're sabotaging your immune system, you know, like for infections or whatever, but, or this internalization of stress and you know, having that cause issues in the gut or issues with the heart. And so gentleness and releasing those emotions in a healthy way and talking to ourselves and treating ourselves with love, like self-care is the hardest thing to do. And I don't understand why. I know, right? (laughs) Right? You know, as a parent, like I have a small child and it's been so interesting to look at how I was raised and the patterns I have from that, and they come up with him. And then I have to, you know, if I'm aware of it, I can stop and be like, well, I don't want him to necessarily internalize this. So how do I shift? shift you know, it's still, yeah. Like, I'm not going to feed him lollipops all day long, but they're, <laughs> they're like, there's a, there's a fine balance. You know, there's a balance. Yeah. And I actually point that out in my book. I mean, I, I one of the main tenets that I, I, stress in the book is the, the, how crucial it is to have a positive mindset. And through my experiences, you know, I feel that with a positive mindset, you'll attract positivity around you. And the corollary is also true. If you have a negative mindset, it's going to attract, you know, negative negativity around you. And I think specifically with, with patients who are experiencing or going through dire health, whether it's yeah. Uh, chronic disease conditions or cancer, you know, it is it, really important to try in best possible way to have a, a positive mindset. And Absolutely. for example, I have a relative who unfortunately passed away with pancreatic cancer. Um, this typically when a person has a diagnosis of pancreatic cancer, it's typically you have three to four months at best before you, know, you pass. This particular person is known for his livelihood of being such a jovious, positive person because of his mindset. You know, he had to go through all the rigors of chemo and and additional medical therapies, but because of this mindset, he actually lived a year and a half more than the traditional three to four month window that patients have when they are first diagnosed with pancreatic cancer. And so it's all about positivity and I can't stress enough how important that is. Also, yep. since we're kind of like in the realm of talking about cancer and oncology, you know, I wanted to go back to 
you because you are also expressing an interest in your soon-to-be board certified in naturopathic oncology. And I didn't know that that was a subspecialty that existed in naturopathic medicine. So that's fascinating because for me as a, as a cancer patient, I, I would imagine that people would come to you when they're first diagnosed or when they want to continue to maintain themselves in a status of remission, right? Yes. And then there's also the patients that have been told there's nothing else to do. Get your affairs in order, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> yeah. That's true. That's true. <clears throat> and I actually, I still study a bit of it, but I let that, that board certification go because it was, it was so hard on my heart to see. Mm, yeah. And it was something that I've always been interested in because it's the, it's the plague of our, of our generation mm-hmm. in a way, right? Mm-hmm. Um, it's, only, it's going to pass heart disease as far as the number one killer of Americans if it hasn't already. Already, uh, um, yeah. So there's a, there's a group um, like the uh, Naturopathic Oncology Association and they have pretty rigorous um, study of like how do you how do you supplement based on like obviously science, right? And um, double blind control placebo for um, people to go along with their chemotherapy and their radiation. And it basically comes down to what their philosophy is like melatonin, green tea, and, you know, like vitamin C, and then like the mind body piece of it. And if you are you familiar with the um, Cancer Treatment Centers of America? Mm-hmm. Yeah. CTCA. And so they used to employ naturopaths. They don't anymore. It's been a shift in the politics of it, but because it's like, if you look at it with cancer and so I still do a lot of work with it, but I don't necessarily subscribe to that board because I I don't think that they were right on the, you know, forefront of what really could be done. Mm -hmm. And so I work with a different um, educational group now about it. And for example, everybody knows that cancer cells can only metabolize certain forms of fuel, which is primarily glucose, right? And yet most of convention doesn't, they are so afraid of you going cachexic that it's better for you to keep weight on using whatever means necessary rather than looking at the blood sugars. Mm -hmm. And so diet has a huge role in that. You know, cancer is an inflammatory disease. It's insane. It's, it's absolutely insane. Yeah. Just, you know, drink and sure it's, it's, you know, keep your weight on. Oh, perfect. Right. Going to get wheat protein, soy protein, you know, like milk protein, corn. And all these other ingredients that I don't know how to pronounce. This chemical soup of nastiness. (laughs) Right. Now, how is that? How is that going to help? But if you look at the inflammatory piece, inflammation drives everything, right? Uh, yeah. So inflammation, toxicity, stress, they will drive whatever disease your body is most likely to, to ex- express. But there's also like vitamin C IVs. There's really good research showing that vitamin C actually helps chemotherapies work better. Better. Yep. I've read that too. Yeah. There's tons of studies. There's like, and most of them, there's one, and I think it might be um, 5FU that it doesn't actually help in studies, but basically every single other one, yeah. it helps, you know, 
need lower doses of chemotherapy and it, it supports against the negative side effects. And that's a big thing as far as quality of life. But if you can support the body and its ability to heal with all of those and protect from the negative effects of chemotherapy and radiation, then it makes it much more likely to stick, mm-hmm. right? Because unfortunately, like you can get cancer the first time in a lot of cases, but it's the remission and the fact that chemotherapy and radiation actually make treatment resistant cancer stem cells that then when, you know, you come out of remission, then the chemotherapies and those conventional therapies don't necessarily work as well because you've got treatment resistant cells. And, um, Not to mention that the lifestyle choices and the lifestyle changes by the patient haven't been implemented because they are exactly, on, and it's not it's not to the fault of the patient. It's more or less the fault of how Western medicine addresses post cancer care, and yes, it's it's not a one and done thing, right? And that's what I really want to communicate with the people, the audiences, and 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 with people who are reading my book and if I get into, you know, speaking engagements, that's where I really want to address it's it. Treatment doesn't end with the last day of chemo or immunotherapy or radiation therapy. The key, the actual treatment begins after it, after that, those uh, treatments are completed. It's an ongoing process of lifestyle changes and that's a diet. That's the mind and that's the spirit. And that's the fundamental tenets of my book and uh, my belief system as well. And I, I feel that that's, um, where I want to implement and change and foster a change for people. And um, I'm glad you mentioned that because I think that's, that's um, one of the take home points is, is it, it just, it, it's an, when you're diagnosed with cancer, it's, it's the horrible, horrible plight that you were faced dealing with. And um, yeah. unfortunately it, it's, it's not a simple remedy. And I, I think that's, what yep. happens in our society, it's a it, tendency to be like, oh, we want a quick fix. Oh, in six months, yep. you're done with your yes. treatment and you'll go back to your, your normal self. But no, 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 that's not the case. Yep. And um, I'm learning that myself. And, and uh, I, I, I still feel that I need to address my body and my mind and my spirit in positive ways where I yeah. need to focus and, and be diligent about it. Otherwise, I can slip back and go into relapse. Yeah. And I think that's true of, of you know, everything. Most processes. Yeah. Right. Yeah. As Most far as like things. when you get diagnosed with something, it's a flag. It's mm-hmm. like the autoimmune diseases, right? When you find an autoimmune disease in somebody like I've reversed autoimmune diseases in countless patients, mm-hmm. but it's not cured. Right. Like it shows that you have the tendency, like this is the tendency when your body is unhealthy and it's out of balance and you're not living, you know, your lifestyle in a, in a way that benefits the body. This is what you will slide into. And so it's this constant reminder that you need to eat well and you need to move and you need to, the other thing that I would say, um, Diva is detoxification. Think Mm -hmm. about all of that toxicity that drives so many cancer processes, right? And so if you're still microwaving things in plastic and, you know, eating food that's covered in Roundup and, and, you know, not helping the body detoxify all of these chemicals, we live in a toxic soup, you know, in the environment. And a lot of those things have been proven to cause, you know, genetic mutations that can lead to cancer processes. 
And the other thing is, is that you mentioned the autoimmune diseases and I've noticed through just my friend's circle or through posts that my friends make on Facebook, more and more people that are like our age or younger are getting diagnosed with or labeled with um, rheumatological conditions, rheumatoid arthritis or not autoimmune disease. And they're being placed on these heavy duty biologics and you know, once you're on this biologic, it's like there's no turning back. You've yeah. really gotten yourself into a situation where you have to continue the medication and you're going to be suffering from um, consequences down the road for impaired immune system, suppressed yeah. immune system. And th- there is an alternative. And the yes. alternative is, is, you know, really address the root cause of the problem and not put a Band-Aid and put these med- place these medications on a patient to take for the rest of their life. And that, that kind of really infuriates me because there is another way. And these most, these physicians who are prescribing these biologics just don't know what the other ways are and right. aren't open to that. Right. So that's, that's what I, I, I kind of, I really want to foster or change. And it's not necessary about changing your mindset, prescribing habits. It's just being open to the idea. These right. opportunities will always exist in, in terms of medical management. Um, right. And most of these rheumatological diseases or autoimmune diseases, it's not a life or death situation where you literally have to place them on a medication for them to survive. It's not like cancer. Right. You can all other options, you know, such as detoxification, such as mm-hmm. um, changing lifestyle, such as employing mind-body yep. uh, modalities. And then if those don't work, then okay, all right, well, I've exhausted all that. Let me go ahead and put you on this medication. And unfortunately, we've exhausted everything. And it's, and it's, it's easy to dismiss those types of remedies because of lack of understanding, number one. And number two, because there's no time involved in communicating these options to, communicating these options to the patients in a 15-minute in a, uh, right. span that you might have with the patient in, in, on a day. Yeah. So, um, you know, and I'm, I'm glad that there are practitioners that are like you that can sit there and spend you know, an hour or, or more time with each patient, whether it's online or in person and get mm-hmm. like exposed to multiple different modalities and different ways of healing. And so mm-hmm. thank you for, for being here. <laughs> well, thank you for being open because I have sent research with my patients to take to their endocrinologist or their oncologist as far as like, this is what is being like, I have a naturopath. This is what, why they're doing what they're doing. Here are the research studies supporting that. You know, please call her or, you know, she's very yeah. happy to talk to you about this. Yeah. You know how many calls I've gotten? Zero. Zero. Really? <laughs> right? You know, Zero. That's the, uh, and that's after you sending evidence-based medicine to these yes. folks, right? It's like there's, I, and I understand people, that are Western practitioners that are like, you know, I'm not going to listen to a, a, a practitioner who is not an MD, um, right. you know, cause they don't, and cause they don't present, they don't practice evidence-based, but when you sit there right. and plop Western based, I mean, evidence-based uh, medicine and evidence and, and research and literature that proves that they, they still don't give you a call and have the courtesy to give you a call. So that's frustrating, but I, I, on, on a but, really positive note, I, I do know that there are practitioners that are like you that are willing to see patients. So we're kind of running out of time, but I wanted to ask you if 
my listeners are wanting to reach out to you and what's the best way they can find you on the net or um, otherwise? Yep. So you can, you can find naturopathicmd.com, which is the wellness-based website that I run. And you can just contact us through there. And then we have options you can look through as far as like the testing. It's got a lot of information and studies and recommendations on there. Um, I also have a podcast called The Bad Girl's Guide to Living Well, if you want to hear more about my, uh, right? Well, it's because nobody's perfect. That's why I named it. Like, nobody's perfect. Like, I don't want you to have to live like a saint and never eat another thing that brings you joy, right? right? Like, right. or stay up late and drink wine, right? right? It's just how do we protect our bodies from the things that we do that aren't optimal? And if you live your life, you know, 95% well, then you can misbehave, you know, 5% of the time, I think, as long as you don't have an active disease. Like if you have an active disease, then you have to be good to reverse it. And then we find the balance. And yeah. so that's the best place to find me. Thanks, Heather. Thanks for the work that you do. And thank you so much for being a guest on our Oh, thanks, Steve. It was really good to see you. And that's thanks for writing that book. I mean, it's, it's huge. It's really important. Yeah. It's really important.